honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Please be seated. If you are visiting with us today, let us say how pleased we are to have you here with us. And hopefully you've gotten one of those uh, visitor's packets. Inside that packet is an attendance card. If you'd be so kind, pass that toward the inside aisles, whichever aisle you'd like. We have some gentlemen who will come by and pick those cards up at this time. We're grateful to have you here with us and uh, grateful to have you uh, stick around with us, and we will be able to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better after all of our worship service is over. Happy Father's Day to you, gentlemen and ladies. Happy Father's Day to you. I don't want to leave you out. Special day, buy him something great. A good meal is always great, by the way. Uh, it is a privilege to be a father, and it is a, a wonderful opportunity that we have uh, given to us by God. Let's take a moment this morning and uh, look at Luke chapter 15, and we'll make it there in just a moment. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. As Jesus lives on this earth, he lives some 33-ish years majority of the time that he's alive, we have no record of. None. But we do have a very uh, intense record of the last, say, three, three and a half years of his life. We have an intense record of what he taught, who he taught, uh, how he lived among people, how he treated people. And I'd like for us to focus today on, on some things that he taught. Jesus would often teach in parables. He would use these things in order to teach men and women as they're gathered around some truth of God based off of something they would sort of kind of know about. In Matthew chapter 13, we see him teaching a parable about a man who is sowing seed in a field and how when that seed is sown, some falls here, some fall there. And some of that, that seed produces a lot of fruit. Some of it doesn't produce anything because of where it fell. Well, in Luke chapter 15, we see him uh, teaching another parable. And this, I think, is the only parable with a father figure in it. I think this is the only parable with a father figure in it. And we generally look at this parable, and as we look at it, we say, oh yeah, that's the prodigal son. And it is, as we, we understand it. We focus a lot of attention on that young boy, and then the older boy kind of gets the leftovers after we go, oh yeah, there's an older guy in here too, don't be like him. We're going to focus our attention today in Luke chapter 15 on the Father. I figure that's, that's acceptable since it is Father's Day. So let's read Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse number 11. He continued, a certain man had two sons. The younger said, Father, give me my part of your estate. And he divided to them his living. 
Not long afterward, the younger son gathered his belongings and went into a far country where he squandered his money, living immorally. And after he had spent everything, the country suffered a severe famine, and he became destitute. And he hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he craved to eat some of the carob pods which the fig, pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough while I'm starving to death? I'll arise, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and went to his father. And while he was yet afar off, his father saw him. His father's heart went out to him. He ran, embraced him warmly, kissed him tenderly. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. The father said to a slave, Bring quickly a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Bring a ring on, or put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring that fatted calf and kill it. Let us rejoice and eat for my son was dead, but has come back to life. He was lost, but he is found. And they began to celebrate. His older brother was in the field and he returned and came near to the house and heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and asked him, what these things meant, and the servant told him, Your brother has returned, your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has recovered him in good health. The older brother became angry and did not want to go inside. His father came out to plead with him. He answered his father, Look, I have slaved for you these many years and never disobeyed you, and you have never given me even a kid of a goat, that I might re rejoice with my friends. But when this your son, who's wasted your money with prostitutes, returns, you've killed the fatted calf. Well, the father replied, You are always with me, and all of my things are yours. We should rejoice, we must rejoice, and be happy, because this one, your brother, was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. When you and I look at that particular parable, we see the mistakes of a younger brother. We look at them, even perhaps the first time we were introduced to this parable, we could see that path he was taking, and, and every step that he would take, we would go, don't go down that one. What, what are you doing? Why are you choosing that way? And seemingly every time we read about him, we want that younger brother to change the, the choices that he makes. And unfortunately, this is the case. That Bible that you hold in your lap, written some 2,000 years ago, or at least this portion, those words are just not going to change, are they? Every time we read it, He's going to make those same foolish choices and he's going to walk straight down that same path. And we associate ourselves at times with those choices and with that path. We've all been there. 
or is that just me? Have you been there? We make those choices from time to time. Uh, we look over at the older brother and we see what he's done and, and how he decided to stay. And how he decided to take on the responsibility of that farm and how he worked it. And, and if you look at the parable, he did the work. He was the guy. The reason why that farm is continuing to go the way it's going is because he put in the time and he put in the effort. Can't take that away from him. And what we find him in this parable doing is pouting and staying outside. And being upset over the, seemingly over the choice that he made. His choice was to stay. He didn't have to. The younger brother didn't. He could have followed right down that same path. He could have wasted all his money. But his choice was to stay. And that's the choice that he chose, and that's the choice that he lived by. But seemingly, he's a little bit jealous of that younger brother for going. And he's upset. And at times... We don't want to admit that either, but at times, we can see ourselves in that older brother, can't we? And it's unfortunate that we can because that almost sounds like we're saying about ourselves, what if I could have gone off and done this or that? Wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't that be a story to tell? Wouldn't that be a memory to have? No. It wouldn't be a story to tell. It wouldn't be a great memory to have. Here you have one who chose to leave. One who chose to stay. Let's start at the beginning and look at the father. We're looking at verse number 11, 12, and 13. The younger son said to his father, Give me the part of your estate. And then he went into a far country, and then he lived immorally. Let's look at this from the perspective of the father. Father, I want what belongs to me after you die. That's an inheritance, right? In essence, he's looking at him saying, wish you were dead and I could get my stuff. Try to imagine if you can how that makes the father feel. How many of you as fathers today on Father's Day would love to have your children come up to you and say, Dad, wish you were dead so I could get my stuff. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? What does he do? He doesn't sit the child down, the young boy down, and say, listen, I don't know if you recognize this or not, but this is what you said to me. I don't know if you recognize this or not, but you're not ready. I don't know if you understand this or not, but this world that you're going to go out to is going to eat you up. What did he do? Well, he divided it. Gave it to him. And then he had to watch the younger son trade in all of the cattle or, or sheep or whatever, all of the inheritance that he had and turned into liquid cash, put that in his money or in his pocket and just walk out. Where are you going? I'm not sure. When are you going to come back? Probably never. How do you think that made the father feel? That's not great. I may never see you again. Bye, Dad. I'm, I'm going to go live life. Oh, wow. 
while this younger son only thinking about himself and, and how he can go and where he can go, the father is thinking of the 1,000 things that could go wrong from his front porch to wherever this young boy lands. The father there is burdened with experience. <laughs> he knows how this world is. Fathers, you ever felt burdened with experience? Don't, don't do that. Don't look inside that gasoline can with a match. That's just dumb. Don't do that. Do you know why we can see it so well? Because at some point in time, we've looked down in that gasoline can with a match. I say to my girls often, don't make the same mistakes I made. Don't live life the same way I did. And here is the father who by statements and, and by actions of this younger son is, is going to be hurt. He's just going to be hurt. But what does he do? Nothing. Seemingly, out of these few verses, nothing. Because he realizes that everybody's going to have to make a mistake every now and again in order to learn. Except for everybody except for Nathan. Nathan never made a mistake, right? Oh, yeah. yeah neither have I. You know, those lessons that we learn the, the best way usually hurt. <laughs> Here's this younger boy trying to learn the mistakes while the father on the inside's hurting for him. Look down at verse number 20. After everything goes wrong with the, with the boy there, the younger son, he decides to come back to the father and, and make amends. And so he gets up out of that hog pen. And while he is a, a great way off, the King James Version would say, this version would say, far away. The father's going to see him. This is not a chance encounter. This is not just the father happens to be at the right place at the right time. In Israel, there is an additional room that we don't know about because our roofs are shaped differently. Our roofs are shaped like this, right? Yeah, we don't want water or snow, or any of those other things, hail in this case for this week, to, to come into our house. Their roofs are shaped like this, where it's a little bit inclined so the water will run, but not much. They want an outdoor veranda. That's a good word, huh? They want a place where in the afternoon they can go and uh, sort of sit in the evening, cool, and, and hang out, and that's their roof. It's a lot like our porches. That's where they had. And so it's not a chance encounter that the father's here. He's up on this roof. It's not a chance encounter that he sees him. I think he's up there every day. And I think he's up there every day looking toward the north. Hoping he can see him. And then back toward the south and the east and the west. Looking for his child. Praying that he comes home. Hoping that it's today. 
hoping that he has, one, learned his lesson, but maybe not so much that his spirit's crushed or his body's hurt. He's just looking for him. And as he's staring out over the horizon, he sees something. Some figure he can't make out just yet. And as it gets a little closer, he says, that's a person. And as that person gets closer, he says, I know that walk. I know that person, that's my son. And if you'll read in verse number 20... He runs out to him. Now, you may not look at words and statements this way, but I'm going I'm to help you out the way I look at them. Are you ready? If he runs out to, the, to him, that means he's no longer on top of the house. He say, well, yeah, duh, preacher, we knew that. He's going out to him. But that's not going to be the task generally of a father, especially in Israel. You know, the long flowing robes, they don't... Uh, they're not the best for a race. So this man would have gathered his robes up, uh, pulled them up to where they looked like what we would know as shorts today, and would have tucked them into his belt so that he could have a, a big range of motion so that he can run. Probably the most undignified thing that a Jewish man can do. Now, do you think he cares about dignity? Not a bit. He runs out there to this son. Notice what the Bible says. He runs out to him. He sees him. He runs out to him because King James will say he had compassion on him. Uh, Brother McCord will, will translate that as his heart went out to him. Try to figure what that father was feeling at that moment. He runs out. He has compassion. His heart goes out to him. Notice this. He embraces him warmly. He grabs him and hugs him tightly, even though he stinks like hogs. And he kisses him tenderly. Why? When you and I look at that, perhaps we are a little more hardened than the Father. We look at that and perhaps we say, you know, it was his choice to leave. It was his choice to come back. He needs to make the corrections. You're not seeing this the right way. Here's how the father sees this. This is my son. Who for all intents and purposes we thought was dead. My child is alive. This is my son. So he runs out there, and he hugs him, and he says, this boy stinks. Yes, he does. But also, this boy don't have on the right clothes or the right shoes or the right uh, accessories. Get him a robe, not just a robe, the best robe. Make my son look like my son. Put shoes on his feet. One of the distinguishing markers between poor folks and rich folks in Jesus' day? Shoes. Put shoes on his feet. 
Now we know what kind of family he's coming from. Put a ring on his finger. Uh, the idea there is establish him back in the pecking order he was. Give him the same authority he had when he left. I mean, he's not put on some sort of probationary period. This is my son. What we're looking at here is the, first the desire of the father to see him and to come home. Can you see the joy in that father's heart when he gets to provide those things once again for him? Because he's alive. After all those things happen, the parable shifts to, to focus in now on the older brother. Now he's coming in from the field and Perhaps he's sitting down wherever he is, taking his boots off. You know, it's been a long day. He, he smells like outside. He has that old, you know that old sticky feeling you get after you've sweated and it's dried on you? That's what we call go take a shower. That's where he's at. He has that feeling about him. He's just had a hard day. You know, it's, it's not necessarily anything went terribly bad in the field. It's just, a hard, it's just a hard job. And he's been doing that job all day. He's tired, hungry. And as he makes his way up to the house, he hears something. And it sounds like a party. And so while he's taking his shoes off, he asks the servant what's going on. And they tell him. Look at verse uh, number 28. At the very beginning there of verse 28, you have a scene that is set by the older brother. And you have a war zone in which the father is about to walk. You ready? And he was angry. You ever had to talk to somebody who's mad and you know they're mad even before you get there and you're thinking, this is going to go great. It's probably the mindset this father has as he's looking at this older brother. He's thinking, well, this guy's upset. This is going to be, uh, this ought to be one of those, uh, one of those father-son talks that people will write sonnets about later on. This will be great. And he goes out there and the the son begins to unpack all of those things that he has been holding in. He said, you know, you didn't ever give me anything, and I've been here working uh, my fingers to the bones, and uh, as soon as your son comes in, uh, you just give him everything that, that he wants. Now, let's not take too far away from the older brother, because he has been there, and he has been working. And notice how the father replies as he has the same duty toward the older brother as he had toward the younger brother. First of all, when that younger brother crested over that hill and he saw and knew who he was, when he left the house, he went outside to get him, didn't he? You look at that older brother. That older brother who won't come in, the father leaves the house and goes outside to get him. They're both outside of the house. And he says to him, the father says to the younger son, or the older son, you've been with me the whole time. 
Now notice this phrase. And everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that I have belongs to you. It's a reference to the way that this particular inheritance was cut up. There were two sons here. And under Jewish law, the older son would have gotten two portions. So he would have cut it in thirds, give the older brother two-thirds, the younger brother one-third. When the younger brother went off and spent all of his money and find himself being broke, everything at that farm, everything belonged to the older brother. The younger brother had nothing. Everything belongs to the older brother. It now does not belong to the father. It now belongs to the older brother. He said, you've always been with me. And all of these things that you think are mine, they're yours. It's all yours. But he reminds him, he said, there's a reason why we're having this party. Because you had a brother who left, who we assumed after so much time had just died. And he's standing inside in the living room just as alive as you and I are. And that's a good thing to rejoice over. What I wish happened in Luke chapter 15 is that we had a verse 33 and 34. But it stops at 32. If we had a 34 or 33 and 34, perhaps it would say, and so the older brother came to his senses and he understood what, what uh, the father was saying and he understood that it was right for them to have a party and that it was right for them to celebrate this younger brother who came back who was safe and sound. But it just stops right there. Throughout this whole parable, we see a father who at times is hurt. He's very concerned about both. Who, who has his joy restored when his son comes back. And has some explaining to do to an older brother. Boy, if that ain't life. If that's not being a father, I don't know what is. I understand in this parable, the father is God. I understand from the first verse, first and second verse of chapter 15, that the older brother and the younger brother are publicans and sinners, the younger brother, scribes and Pharisees, older brother. I understand that. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, could not have portrayed the father any clearer, a father any clearer. Any father in any house is going to go through ups and downs. What has he taught these boys? Hopefully for the younger one, he teaches them, don't run away. The problems are going to be there. And that's a, problem, a, a, uh, a lesson we need to teach our younger Hopefully he teaches them a good work ethic he did with the older brother, and that's something we need to teach our, our younger. Probably the greatest lesson is this, that the child can come back. 
the child could come back. In Jesus' perspective in Luke chapter 15, he's speaking about the child of God coming back to God. And we look at it and we say, the child could come back to my house. I'm going to take care of my children. The bigger picture is the child coming back to God. Should be seen and should be understood by us all. We speak about it every single week. But in order to be able to come back to the house, you're going to have to be part of the house first. It's a requirement. I'm going to take care of my, my girls, right? Check it this way. Or what if some other girl came in the house? I don't know who she was. Might take care of her. I don't know. Maybe, I guess, maybe. I'd like to know who she is. But when you're part of the house, you get to come back. You're not part of the house. We've got some issues we need to take care of to make sure you're going to be part of the house. Interestingly, if you're not part of the house of God today, there are some things we need to take care of to make sure that you are part of the house. Have you heard what he has to say? In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Have you heard what he has to say? Do you, do you believe what he has to say? Do you believe that he will reward the righteous and that he will punish the wicked? And that there is no third choice? That's uh, John chapter 8 and verse 24. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sin. Have you repented of your sins? Do you even know what that means? Do you know what it means to change your mind about what sin is, which results in the change the way you walk on this earth? Luke chapter 13, verse 3 and verse 5. Do you understand what that means? Have you done those things? Have you confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the only salvation of man? Jesus would say about himself in John 14 and verse number 6, I am the way, the truth and the life, and the qualifier behind it is, is so pointed and fantastic that it cannot ever be left out. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Is that clear? Have you done those things? I've done all those things, preacher. Have you been baptized in water for the remission of your sins? That's a command of Jesus, Mark chapter 16, verse number 16. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, ends that whole statement by saying, being raised to walk in a newness of life. Are you part of the house? Have you been adopted? Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Have you been adopted by God's house, being part of God's family? If you have, then if you're outside, you have opportunity to come back. If you've not, you can be you can be part of God's family today, but if you're outside, whether it be right outside the door or way far out over the ridge, I need you to know, understand this. You're still outside, and you're still L-O-S-T. But you can come in. You can come back in. Nobody's making you stay out there. You can come right back into that house with that Father who loves you. And there can be rejoicing because you came. Have you been living that life or have you been living at that life? That's a whole different statement. Is that part of, is this, is Christianity your life?
Or is it part of your life? If it's part of your life, then you do something like this four hours a week-ish. If it's your life, then you do this 168 hours a week. And so which one is it? If it's not your life, come back inside. What are you waiting for? Let me urge you to look at Luke chapter 15 and verse number 17. And this will apply to the one who's away or the one who's just outside the door. Let me urge you while we sing this invitation song for you here in just a moment. That you come to yourself. You realize the things that are important. And you come back to God. Right now while we stand and sing.
don't like following Nathan up here because anything I say as loud as I say it is still not going to be as enthusiastic as the way he sings. We are blessed to have Nathan and other song leaders in this congregation. I know of no other announcements. 
But if I can make this little fancy thing here work. And I can. We have need of two propane bottles that have a knob on them like that and a connector like that. They don't have to have gas in them. We'll take care of that. But if you've got an old gas grill that you're not using, see me after the service or sometime. I'll even come pick it up if you don't have a way to get it up here. But we need two of them. Don't need three. Need two. If we can, please. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our Father. We thank you that most of us in this auditorium right now are Christians and we have received the free gift of salvation, making you our Father. Those of us who are fathers here on earth have examples that we need to follow. We ask you to help us to do that, Lord, to be the earthly father to our children, our, our, be the earthly husband to our wives. Lord, we ask you to help us be the Christians that the rest of the world needs to see. Lord, we ask you to forgive us of our sins. We ask you to bless us and guide us. Help us take your word from this room into the world outside to live it, to share it, to tell it, to show it. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ who died for us according to the plan of salvation that you ordained. We thank you for the work of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.